0: Hello, it's Christian Knolle from Porsche Digital, and it's Tim Leverick from the House of Beautiful Business. So, this is the very first episode of the Next Visions Cross House of Beautiful Business podcast. So, Tim, where are we? Well, we are
1: at the House of Beautiful Business in Lisbon, in Portugal. It's an annual gathering, the fourth time that it's happening, and we're basically literally taking over a house. In fact, two houses, two buildings. Uh, The one that we're in today is the Academy of Sciences in Sao Bento. It's very close to the parliament of Portugal. And it's a building from, I always get this wrong, I think it's the 17th or is it the 18th century? (laughs) it's, It's definitely old and we're sitting in a library. There's actually two. There's one big library and then there's a side wing, a smaller library. And it's this incredible, I mean, I wish you could see it. It's this incredible space where there are literally like thousands of books, like covered with dust. Uh, some, you know, have been read lately, some are just probably have not been touched for 100 years. That's sort of what it feels like. It's kind of like the name of the rose. And um, anyway, but we're surrounded by all these books, and there's a lot of ancient wisdom and knowledge, all of which representing visions of the world, what people were thinking about the world narratives that they put out. Um, so it's kind of like a, a fitting backdrop for the House of Beautiful Business, because what we're trying to do is to bring different disciplines and people together, business people, scientists, artists, philosophers, poets, to have a conversation and and a gathering that helps us explore what is, you know, how do we want to live together in the future? What's the role of business amidst this collision of, some call it a collision of technology
0: and and humanity. Anyway,
1: that was a very long-winded, but that's That's where we (laughs) are. That's where we are.
0: I like pretty much the idea that you just described of and captioning visions by gathering people. That's also the purpose of the podcast. So um, across the last couple of days, we met several interesting people, thought leaders, artists, philanthropists. Um, we brought several couples together, so people who are not related to each other somehow. We have no moderator in this kind of podcast, so there are five further episodes beyond our fantastic podcast now. Maybe you can give a short glimpse who these people are and what are the topics that are coming after episode one. Yeah, so uh, like many of
1: the experiments that we have here at the house, this podcast or these conversations are really an experiment, as you said, right? Like no moderator. And uh, we basically curated them and put two people together. In most cases, I think in all cases, never met before. Put them in a room uh, here at the house and then they had to get a conversation going, like we're doing this now. And I think the topics that we cover range from ethics of AI, state-of-the-art AI, some of the questions that we're dealing with in terms of autonomous systems. That's a conversation between John Havens and Florian Schmidt. Then we'll talk about, or they'll talk about leadership and career changes, a conversation between the business school professor and author, Hamina Ibarra, Mm -hmm. and the former CEO of Galatasaray Istanbul and investor Ebru Kirksal. Then we have Kristina Palovikova, who is the co-founder of Secret City Trails in conversation with Itai Palti, who is the founder of a platform and movement called Conscious Cities, mm-hmm. uh, a conversation about travel and the future of cities. We have Massimo Portincaso, who is the global head of marketing at the Boston Consulting Group and a partner at Boston Consulting Group in conversation with Amy Whitaker, who wrote the book Art Thinking. So their topic is the role of art in business and what business people and business leaders can learn from the way artists think and see Mm -hmm. the world. And then finally, we have Maria Kolitsida, who is the co-founder and CEO of WinningMinds.ai. It's a company that's using AI to help facilitate more effective collaboration within business. And Sophie Kleber, who is the head of Spaces UX at Google, and they're in conversation about the possibility of emotional intelligence For AI or for autonomous systems. So that's, I guess,
0: we're closing the loop from starting with AI and then back to emotionally. Yeah, I met some of these people, super interesting people, and uh, I guess you now introduced every one of them pretty well. And we are surrounded by these fantastic books, and I know a little bit about the books, the people that you just described, but actually, can you explain maybe Tim Leberecht? Who is Tim Leberecht?
1: Yeah, sure. So I'm the co-founder of the House of Beautiful Business. I my background is really in marketing and I used to live in Silicon Valley and work there for 14, 15 years for frog design, a design and innovation consulting firm that was founded by the German industrial designer Hartmut Esslinger, became famous for its work with Apple in the eighties. And I ran marketing there for seven years. And um, I wrote a book in 2015 called The Business Romantic. Mm-hmm. And I was That's very interested title. in Interesting title. Yeah. <laughs> There's always people are like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so um, romance in the sense of not, you know, the popular trivial sense of the word but really romanticism the arts and philosophy movement of the 18 19th century mm-hmm. and i was very interested in looking at some of the ideas from romanticism and how they apply to current business in the future of work that's what the book is about it's really a an exploration of how to humanize technology with the means of romanticism if you will Okay, very
0: interesting founded
1: a company inspired by the book called the business romantic society which then began to gather people under the roof of the house of beautiful business we started in 2017 in Barcelona, in an old Gothic guild house, in fact, in the Gothic quarter of, of Barcelona with 100 people. And then now we've grown it over the years. This is the fourth edition this week to 700 people. And the idea is I always think of something that one of our friends and board members, John Piero Petlieri, professor of organizational behavior at INSEAD and Fontainebleau, once said, he said, a vision is always a space. Like mm-hmm. when you have a vision, it's always like you walk into a space. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really true. And I think that's also why we came up with this idea of like, let's, let's actually literally use a house as the place where people can come together and think about what are the new visions, the new narratives that can help us guide into the future because we really need them. I think we really need new narratives and new visions amidst this onslaught of, you know, digital overload and conflicting agendas. But I think we need a new inspiring narrative. And I, th- I think that's one of the things we're trying to do here. Very interesting. How does that apply to you? Because you came up or you founded this initiative
0: called Next Visions at Porsche. Why Porsche interested yeah, in Next um, Visions? So I'm with Porsche. We do this sport cars, obviously, for 70 years now. And I think There's a specific point of time right now that you described. So there's digital transformation, we have e-mobility, autonomous driving is coming, algorithms are coming to our world of hardware, so to say. And we are 70 years old. That basically means we came from a situation where we also pivoted in the beginning. So pivoting our business model, we found out sports cars works pretty well. And our feeling right now is that we need to pivot again right now. So coming from a stable business model, looking into the future, and then seeing, okay, the world is changing, we need to adapt to that. And um, that is why we created Next Visions as a kind of claim to open up because it's a kind of mindset that comes with it. So I think our founder had a very essential quote that's, And captures the spirit that we have. So there's a quote like, in the beginning I looked around and could not quite find the car I dreamed of, so I decided to build it myself. And this quote has several components that are very crucial for me for innovation and also creating a vision. The first step is really, in the beginning I looked around, so it's really being open-minded and look around what kind of technologies are there, be open-minded, because My feeling is sometimes if you are in your daily job, most of the people don't look anymore. So it's really to be look to the outside world, what's going on. That second step is then, of course, that he said, I looked around and didn't find what I dreamed of. So who in this world is dreaming? When you think about Google guys and all these people, uh, entrepreneurs and startups, you think they have a dream. But I think you need to keep dreaming as a corporate, especially when you're 70 years old. So really seeing into the outside world, seeing imperfection in the world and dreaming of something. And then the final step is really the crucial one is then I decided to build myself taking action. That is really crucial, I think. And this is deep rooted in our DNA. And this is how we want to approach the future in order to have one. So next vision is really to get new perspectives, to have a perspective in future and save the future as well. And, Again, I guess the mindset that comes with it is really to have a beginner's mind. So we recently had a discussion with um, Camilla Dallard. She has written a book about reinventing me. And she had a burnout, for example. And she explained to me, yeah, Christian, if you want to reinvent yourself, first you need to put your ego aside and ask her, what does it actually mean? When you're 70 years old, when you have a strong brand, for example, like Porsche, you could say, hey, we are such a strong brand, but putting the ego aside basically means being humble and thinking like a beginner. And that's pretty much related to what we see also from sports. We are coming obviously from sports cars. So sports is something we relate to pretty much. So when you talk to athletes, for example, they don't take success for granted. So a Cristiano Ronaldo... Trains hard, even though maybe he's not the most beloved one, but he's the first on the field and last who goes and trains and trains and trains. And he doesn't think like I win this game the next time I win again. And this is also deep rooted in our mindset. So we are driven by perfection, but we don't feel that we are perfect at all. So if you don't feel perfect, you really train hard and you try to get better look into new direction. And this is what we mean by putting the ego aside. And this also means beginner's mind that you completely approach in a different way, new topics, new business models, et cetera. You don't go there and say, we are the established ones. You go there, we have not a clue what's going on. We don't understand this technology. We need to deep root into that. And that is an approach that pretty much resonates now with the outside world the ecosystem of startups entrepreneurs etc that we tap into because somehow of course you lose that over time and then you need to reinvent yourself somehow to bring this into and that's basically my job right now so i'm heading the company building unit out of product digital the idea is basically to create new ventures not alone but jointly with entrepreneurs to bring the entrepreneurial spirit back and really tackle untapped business to save the future that is what I'm doing. It's so interesting. And the, the fact that you speak of dreaming,
1: which, you know, in a corporate context, I guess, is not necessarily a word that many people would, you know, immediately approve of. He's like, no, the last thing we need is dreamers, <laughs> dreamers right? Yeah. We, we want pragmatists. And, and I, I think it's interesting because there's such a tension there. If you, like, in a way, I think you really want to go to those places that are irrelevant mm-hmm. right now. yeah, And of course, that's completely at odds with the demand that you probably have in-house like many other corporate where people are saying, why is this relevant for us? Why are you at the House of Beautiful Business? Mm-hmm. Why do you work with that startup? Because they're in a field that's completely irrelevant for us. Mm-hmm. But I guess the trick is, is exactly those fields that are seemingly irrelevant that can actually provide a pathway
0: into the future, aren't they? I have two perspectives on that. So I think what is scribed is, so, so sometimes people ask me, what are the most interesting topics you look into when you think about innovation? And of course, we have written down like a good corporate guy, you write down the search feeds, what you're looking for, etc. But when you find what you're looking for, it's extremely boring because you get an answer to the question you asked. So I find it more intriguing to find the unknown unknowns, really topics you have not been aware of. That's also the reason why we have been the house of beautiful business because there are many things we didn't understand, I didn't understand, and then you tap into that. And the second part is really then to tackle these topics try them out and not just say it's irrelevant because you cannot really judge it up front. So really don't have a prejudice upfront to that. And again, if you're then open-minded and try things new out, then somehow it makes sense. And to be honest, we didn't start with the sports cars, by the way, right? So it's also something that was not obvious in the beginning. So where this is really need to be, you need to be open-minded and tap into things. And then in the end, it makes somehow sense. It's interesting. I mean,
1: what you said about you know your founder Ferdinand Porsche right saying that uh, you know I had to build the car of my dreams you know there wasn't one and I think that applies very much also to the community that we're trying to build we had this feeling like well we don't know we have not been to a conference that we were really in love with or we weren't part of a community that we felt like fully represented what we're interested in so we founded our own space founded our own gathering founded our own community and I think what we're trying to do is very much, I think, exactly what you described, like to put people into a beginner's mind. And by the way, uh, the reason we're doing this, I'm doing this, is also because I want to learn. I'm very selfish. Like I love this idea of going into something five days of intense programming and experiences, and actually really not knowing what's going to happen and what I will come across, even though partly I've curated it. But so, for example, the one of the things that I thought were interesting. So far at the House of Beautiful Business is this whole idea of embodied leadership, mm-hmm. right, that we kind of separated our heads from our bodies and that business, especially in the Western world, has mostly taken place in meetings where we just, you know, we basically carried our head from meeting to meeting, but we completely forgot about the rich sensorial apparatus that our body is, right, and, and completely neglected that. I think that's just one sort of insight that i'm really becoming aware of and that i think we're trying to incorporate into the experiences here whether that is for example we had uh, an exercise called hammer time where people demolish- Yeah, you told me that that was <laughs>
0: interesting i would have loved to do demolish
1: that. like the, the <laughs> hammer demolished like the wall in this vacant bank that we uh, moved into for a day and it was just amazing how much people enjoyed like the physical activity amidst all the intellectual discourse and then the singing so we had a A fight song singing choir every morning, or we'll have it over the next few days as well. And so it's just sort of not using just your intellectual capacity, but really your whole body. And I think the other thing that's really interesting is this notion of vulnerability, which is very much, of course, Mm -hmm. that's very much at the core of dreaming, right? When you dream and you have a dream or an idea that is very new and fragile, you're very vulnerable. Uh, so, in a sense, is that what I'm interested in, in a sense, that's, to me, is like the very opposite of the Porsche brand. Because the Porsche brand is like so? invincible and strong, right? And, and, um, and
0: No? I'm not sure. But so, so, I have a couple of thoughts now. So, you mentioned emotion is not really related to business somehow. That was one statement. And the other one was more like not so much mind-driven, more physical, etc. So, what came to my mind is a quote of Marcel Post, uh, who basically said the true journey of discovery is not to travel for foreign lands, but to see the existing one with fresh eyes. So that is something also that that there's also something, I guess, that resonates with next visions. It's not only to bring outside perspectives, but also to learn something about ourselves. So when you said, yeah, you could say, so we are German engineering. We are perfection for many people. We are speed sounds very efficient, but when you talk to customers, the brand goes deep to their heart. So it's a very emotional thing for them. And that is something I thought about also in a business context. For example, we have many meetings where people come into the room and someone says, oh, this is not really Porsche specific. And mm-hmm. I asked in the beginning when I started in my job is, okay, could you explain to me what is Porsche specific? And to be honest, you can ask hundred people, everyone says something different, but everyone has a clear perspective. This is Porsche, and this is not Porsche. And for me, for the very essence, this is not a rational catalog of criteria. This is more a gut feeling. And this is super interesting, I think, because it's completely accepted within the company to say, come into a meeting, say this is not Porsche specific. And everyone says, ah, I agree. But it's not like, I have a PowerPoint slide and we tick five boxes and then uh, we have decided it's not Porsche specific. And that is something that I learned also in the house now. Making decision is very important in business. And how do you do decisions? Normally you think it's a dominance of the mind. So when you look to neuroscientists in the US, they say decisions are basically influenced by free components that's the mind the heart and the gut which is rather interesting because in the european discussion you basically reduce it to the mind and that comes pretty close to when you look into technologies i guess we touch based also the topic of ai algorithms it simulates like we simulate the brain and then we cover and can do decisions and that is something also that i think we see a little bit differently we many times get asked how do you see autonomous driving because it's an algorithm who does a decision on driving, and we always say uh, we strongly believe in also the joy and the fun which is very emotional, of driving. So by this, I don't see our brand specifically so much in the space. The rational and the emotional part is pretty much married in the brand, and it's the beauty. So we have beautiful cars with a beautiful mindset, so to say, and that's what I learned basically now in house. That's really interesting, the idea that AI, so that we
1: cannot really simulate human intelligence by just focusing on consciousness or the mind. There's an interesting AI uh, theoretician or theorist, um, George Dyson, uh, he's sort of mm-hmm. a tech historian, and, and I read an article with him where he says, well, in order to really fully replicate human intelligence, what we need would actually be analog AI. So AI that actually is out in the world and has experiences and that uh, accumulate rather mm-hmm. than just mimicking the human mind. It's something that John Havens and Florian Schmidt, when they talk about the ethics of AI and where AI is going, might talk about. But I think this is sort of interesting to think about AI not just as a, a cognitive capacity, but in a way as a holistic being, if that makes sense. Maybe that sounds horribly esoteric. But. Uh, uh,
0: there was one experience in the house. I think it was Mark Sagar who presented mm-hmm. an AI and looked like, like a child. In and fact, so, his, his, he mimicked it, or he built it yeah. on the on the physiognomy of his own
1: daughter. So he's yeah. the CEO of Soul Machines, founder yeah. of Soul Machines, and it, it was modeled after his own daughter's And, and that is for body. me,
0: that was a little bit disturbing for me because that was a kind of tipping point where I thought, okay, AI is a machine, and now it got extremely human. And that is, I guess, something you need to be careful when you think about this automation. So there's always for me a tipping point where it gets creepy somehow, and I think it always happens when it's too human. So it's the same with digital assistants. I'm not sure, do you use Alexa or Siri somehow? I, I don't. So Siri, yeah, but not Alexa. It, it, it's super interesting to experience. For example, I started with Alexa. Amazon Echo, it's very technical. Voice and you think, okay, it's a machine. It does what I tell. And then I started with a HomePod, and I guess I once started like, okay, hey, Siri, and the answer is like, mm-hmm. And I was intrigued because it's mimics somehow, like you described. Human nature. And then if you look into science fiction, I guess in Stanley Kubrick's 2001 with Hell 9000, I think it was actually the first digital assistant somehow. And there's. Dave. Uh, yeah. And there's <laughs> one, one quotes, I think, where it says in this sweet heavenly voice, like, Dave, this conversation serves no purpose anymore. Goodbye. That is quite interesting because right now machines are serving our purpose. And that was also a tipping point, I guess, in the movie where you said, okay, the machine decides human mankind is obsolete. So I really wonder now, and that was also an interesting discussion in the house, is what is the role of human mankind? So what is still the reason for being for humans when everything is automated?
1: Yeah, and there was actually the former principal writer of Siri, Mariana Lin, also gave a talk and she pointed out that um, she said there's research that actually proves that humans tend to trust AI more, not because the AI looks like humans, so it's humanoid, like mm-hmm. a soul machine, baby X that Mark Sagan yeah. talked about, but if the humans actually get to meet the person who created the AI, the human mm-hmm. behind the AI. Okay. So that makes AI more trustworthy than AI that resembles a human being, which I thought was was quite interesting. And she sort of insisted that we trust AI if the AI is not perfect. And if the eye is surprising, which is built into Siri in some ways, right? But Siri sometimes responds in a cheeky, humorous way and says, No way, I'm not going to do this, right? Yeah. And rather than just kind of serving your needs, she assumes a persona. Mm-hmm. And in a way, we, I think we want to have the fallibility or we want to have those cracks. That's where the beauty is, isn't
0: it? Not just like perfection and convenience and, and so, total so predictability. Character and personality is something then that makes us human, would be the conclusion, right? Yeah, or imperfection. Imperfection. In in a way, right? The cracks and also not
1: knowing, not really knowing what's going to happen next like now, right? I I have no idea what you're going to say next, (laughs) Uh, which which is wonderful. I mean, that's the whole point of two people meeting and having a conversation that at the end of the day, even though we might know each other really well, we just don't know. Even the writer Pico have once told me, um, he said, you know, he's been married, I think, for 27 years. Mm -hmm. And he says, I have still, I have no idea what my
0: wife's going to do next, (laughs) which I think is a very romantic vision uh, of a relationship. That's also an interesting angle because I think algorithms and AI basically, they're more like multiple regressions. So extrapolating from the past data into the future. What is quite interesting, I recently read a book, it's by James Bridle called New Dark Age. And he basically lines out that, for example, he's taking the weather due to the changes of the world. The prediction is even getting worse right now. So we simulate like we have a lot of data, everything is predictable. I can predict everything, but the truth is the world is changing so much that we get dumb somehow, we get stupid. For example, he has also the example like people are following navigation systems, are driving into a sea. He also made an interesting experiment where he put circles around an autonomous driving car and it was then captured by that. So I think right now we are at a point of time and that maybe resonates with with your beginning of this. um, We are back in the time of enlightenment to say everything is rational, everything is algorithm, but still... I think Porsche would not exist without any motions, of course, because you could say, is it really, if I calculate total costs and all those things, maybe it's not a super rational decision, but it touches the heart. And that is something, I guess, we need to embrace more in the future as well.
1: So speaking about the New Dark Age, yeah. James Bridle's book, and I mean, it's a rather you know dystopian title, at least I haven't, yeah. haven't, <laughs> haven't read it, but very much the opposite of where we started with this hope and this need for a new vision. But I'm curious, Christian, about your own personal vision for a beautiful future like what does that look like to you i think it's always sort of an interesting question like are we actually able to describe it ourselves like what what kind of world do you see when you think of a more beautiful future for mankind and how optimistic are you that we are able to still build it in in in
0: light of you know the climate crisis and many other looming that's uh, a very interesting question i I didn't think about it so much to be honest. let me maybe answer with a more esoteric <laughs> answer to that. So I recently read a little bit about karma, what karma actually is. Then answers maybe the question, what is the future? Because people always want to uh, want like, what is the future? And you have 200 PowerPoints with nice slides, uh, how the future looks like. So the concept of karma, many people think karma is like destiny. I can't do anything because... I need to follow my path. And that's the same with future. So future will happen somehow. And I think karma in the very essence means more, I take a path, make a decision and this has consequences and that shapes the future. So by this, I'm not so much in the space of saying, what do I believe how the future looks like? I follow maybe also more the path of our founder to say, I don't see it. So I decide to build it myself. So I think it's more like how the future looks like it's in our own hands. It's not that everything is decided already also regarding sustainability. There's also an interesting book that we're currently in the sixth extinction. Uh, so the book is called Sixth Extinction. You could say, oh my God, where are we? But I still, we, we always have a chance and always can make a decision. And decisions have consequences. I guess in life, if you're a company, in a relationship, Everything you do has a consequence so and that shapes the future. So by this I have not maybe a clear vision in that regard that I say I know how the future looks like. But it's more like, is it positive, negative? I would say more positive, of course, because that is, makes us human. Because otherwise I need to go to bed and stay at home because everything is dark. That's the reason why I wake up and do my job to, to make it a better world in the end. Hmm. That would be my motivation yeah. for that. Yeah,
1: no, I, that, that's quite beautiful. There's uh, <laughs> the, it comes down to those small, um, little moments in a way, and I, I think that's also my that would be my vision as well. That I think, first of all, that we're still able to bring people together as a house of beautiful business, and we have the luxury of being able to design a future the way we want it, right? Rather than dominated by other entities such as AI telling us what to do or what the might looked like. And I think I'm always thinking like, you know, as long as I can walk through Lisbon and I meet a stranger in a shop and, you know, there's a secret smile or a secret pact, like sort of a sudden intimacy, emotional intimacy, or my heart sings or, and just something unexpected happens that mm-hmm. just stretches you and the poetry of daily life. As long as that's still possible, I think that's really uh, interesting. But this is, by the way, also, um, you know, thinking about one conversation between Christina from Secret City Trails and Itai, the founder of Conscious Cities. Mm -hmm. I think what they are talking about in their conversation is like, there has been this trend to think of cities as these smart machines, right? That are data-driven and more convenient and more human-centered because they can anticipate all of the needs. And I think Itai's point, the way I understand it, is also to say, yeah, that's true and that does help, but we also have to make sure that cities remain romantic bodies and that they are full of surprise and serendipity and we should not necessarily only engineer it based on data, right? There's more to it. And the cities are such a, a laboratory of how we want to live in the future. So let's make sure that we do not apply this data paradigm in like entirely, right? And mm-hmm. and I think this is an interesting resistance against, you know, the smart city paradigm. And I think something that they'll be talking about, secret city trails, you know, the hidden layers of meaning in cities.
0: You just mentioned luxury. Um, What we also did in the house is interview several people to explore a little bit the topic of new luxury. So obviously Porsche is also related to a premium luxury product. So we asked several people, what is your perspective on that? Was many facets in that? So I like to take the opportunity also, Tim, now to ask you, what is your personal luxury or how do you interpret luxury in your life? I think it's quite a luxury for me to be able to be here
1: frankly. And with me, <laughs> with <you. laughs> in this room with old books. <laughs> no, I mean, it's just amazing that we have this privilege of bringing together 700 people from all parts of the world, having this conversation and still have a sense of agency. And I think it's a luxury to be able to build and maintain your own community. I think that's just really um, something that I don't take for granted. Mm-hmm. And I think the other luxury for me personally has always been that... I think independence is really important for me. So I hate being stuck in any kind of situation, you know, whether that is in the wrong car on a train or, yeah. uh, or in a job where, where I feel like I'm not really living up to my full potential or it's stifling me. So I always felt like I really wanted to make sure that I can determine the way I live. I think that's like self-efficacy, self-effectiveness, self-determination, I think that's really for me is the ultimate luxury in a way.
0: I think that's a wonderful closing for our podcast. So um, like you also mentioned, we have talked to several people. So i um, looking pretty much forward to the next five episodes. And thank you very much for your time. enlightening me uh, with the knowledge of your person, the books here in the room, and also the intense discussion about emotions, humanity, and also algorithms in this Fantastic world. I think we will take the insights to shape the future. Thank you very much, Tim. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoy the uh, episodes.